In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing the show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. And we have a super exciting episode to share with you all today. For our first segment, we're going to be talking about the state of the 2024 presidential election in 2023, because it's a little bit more relevant now. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a few months more relevant than when we talked about it, it during is, the midterms in 2022. In fact, in fact, it is. In fact, it is. And then for our second segment, we're going to be talking about the debt ceiling, and how super interesting the economy is, because we love the economy on the pod. Yeah, we do love the economy. Everybody yeah. actually loves the economy. Not everybody, not everybody knows it. Yeah, that is true. That is true. But it's very important. Yeah. So without further ado, I'm. I, funny thing is, I'm so used to doing some type of transition into the I COVID know. numbers. Exactly. That, that now I don't know how to do the transition. Well, let's just get to it. We don't need to do a transition. Let's just, let's dive just right get in. to it. Yeah, let's All right, just, 2024. Let's what the 2024. Fuck? <laughs> um, so what I want us to do is to spend some time going through all the candidates and all the potential contenders, or at least the major contenders, mm-hmm. and discuss where they're at right now, what's probably going to happen, give some predictions, give some analysis, give some opinions. And I have to say, while I was researching this, I experienced an uncomfortable level of cognitive dissonance towards a specific candidate that really? I have previously been very dismissive of. Really? Yeah. Does that mean you're a Trump supporter now? I am totally a Trump supporter now. Oh, totally wow. This MAGA. Is, you're, you've heard it here first, folks. <laughs> the Perspectrum yes. is now pro-Trump yes. podcast. Pro-Trump podcast. <laughs> now yeah. we can officially be against pedophilia. Thank that goodness. That is true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, the Perspectrum does not stand in favor of pedophilia. <laughs> no, we've always been anti-pedophilia. We've always been anti-pedophilia. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, I don't even eat pizza anymore at all. <laughs> that's probably, that's too niche. That's a deep cut. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I got it. I got Thank it. Thank you. Or hang it. out in basements. <laughs> yeah. I got it. I, I, I got the joke. I appreciated it. And I'm sure that that's the good. one other person listening, uh, if we're lucky, that also got, got the it. joke. Yeah. 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 Anyways, um, so let's get started. First off, let's talk about some of the non-contenders, as in some of the people that have the, the the people that have announced that they're running, but have literally nothing to add whatsoever and don't have a chance in hell. So first off, we have uh, Nikki Haley. Yep, Nikki Haley. Uh, you might hear, remember that name from during the Trump administration. So she was the uh, former governor of South Carolina. Uh, she was the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under Trump. And she is joining the race because, I don't know, she can. I don't know. It doesn't seem like <laughs> she knows. It makes yeah. no like sense. Like, I I watched her video and it was just nothing like her announcement video was literally just nothing i mean she's literally like trying to beat trump because ultimately all these people are up against trump but not going after him 
and was like part of his administration and yeah. is like very well see, aligned with him. See, that's the tough it. thing that a lot of these candidates are in, the mm-hmm. tough position that these candidates are in, yeah. because they have to toe a really fine line mm-hmm. between attacking Trump because he is their opponent and not attacking Trump because as soon as they attack Trump, he'll go nuclear on their ass yeah. and destroy their entire chance of ever getting anywhere in politics. Yeah, I actually don't think there's a line. I think people have been describing it as a line. I don't know that it's a line you can actually walk. I think it one might yeah. be one that you can overstep and survive, maybe. But I yeah. don't think you can actually like half go after Trump or like try to beat Trump and not go after him. And the question of survival is then like, do his hits land? Like, are you able to deflect them? Which we can talk about it, but no one so far really has um, that he's taken aim at. But the other thing is like, do you survive criticizing the golden boy of 30% of the Republicans? How do you like get, Yeah. how do you get, win the primary with that? Yep. And as it stands, according to the 538 average, uh, Nikki Haley has a whopping 4% in the polls. Wow. That's polling error. <laughs> yeah, I I want to know who are those four percent. Yeah, like I don't, who are the people? It's just some people that... in South Carolina that elected her. Yeah, yeah, probably. It's the anti-social um, security, anti-Medicaid coalition. <laughs> yeah, that's actually um, the next uh, person who is officially announced. Which uh, I I've never heard of this person until I started looking at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is uh, Vivek. Uh, Ram Swamy, I think that's how you say his name. He is running on the Republican side. He is a former biotech executive, and he is a is a multimillionaire. Great, and he is an anti woke capitalist. Wow, that is a popular combination. That is a <laughs> an elite com- anti woke capitalist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who nobody has ever fucking heard of. Yeah, who has his... like no name recognition. Bro, your, your own mother doesn't even know who you are. Yeah, like, why <laughs> are you running for president? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think partly this is, like, people that are, like, coming out in the wash. Like, it's, like, yeah. like entering early because you're, like, oh, I'm going to run for president. And then you can be a former presidential candidate when you, like, network and stuff. Like, he's bored. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, next on the Republican side, you have Larry Elder, which some of you might actually recognize that name. But you might be like, wait, where do I know that name? Because that name had some recognition as because uh, he was a gubernatorial candidate during California's 2021 recall effort. He was the he was the main contender that was trying to that was trying to recall Gavin Newsom. Um, I'm gonna make the call right he... now. No one recognized that name. I literally searched that name like in an article I'm looking at with 2024 presidential candidates. And he's not in there. <laughs> Which so uh, is it? Literally, gonna, only me that remembered him. I'm going to say only you remember him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Larry Elder is a is the official candidate of autistics that remember everything. <laughs> Except he, I assume he <laughs> hates autistic people. Like, there's no way. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just people. Uh, he's with also good memories. he is also fucking nuts. Yeah, um, and like he managed to get a lot of. A lot of people that don't like Gavin Newsom to speak out in defense of Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, next, you have uh, Asa Hutchinson. He is the former governor of Arkansas. Uh, and 
he just hates Trump. Yeah. Which, you know what? Actually, that's the position. Yeah. Yeah. Being an anti-Trump, you know, politician is good, I guess, maybe for the other two-thirds of people, if you think you can win. The problem is, like, you have to make a compelling case that you could win, that you could, like, win the primary. You have to really be the only alternative, because if Trump splits, if, like, you know, the Republicans split the field, winner-take-all means that Trump still wins. So, like, you really... um, it's tough to to follow that path of being like an anti-Trump yeah. Republican at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the no names on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the no names on the Democratic side, or specifically one no name, mm-hmm. because so far only three Democrats have officially announced that they're running. Yeah. And to be um, clear, those are the people that have officially announced. There's yeah. a lot of like hopefuls and like people that are writing books that make them seem presidential. Yeah. Um, yeah. But those are the only people that have announced on the Republican yeah. side. And there's only there's only one candidate that we're going to talk about that has not officially announced, and you probably already know who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, we'll we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to the meatball later. Um, so on the Democratic side, we have uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And I seriously do not understand why the fuck this guy is running. He's like, like you know what? vaccines had such a good year they need to come down a peg (laughs) yeah like this dude is a notorious anti-vaccine activist yeah and he's i mean literally the only thing that really separates his corporatism from biden's corporatism is the fact that he also thinks like he believes in the weird anti-vax conspiracy theories Hmm. so it's like he's corporate and fucking nuts yeah pro corporate (laughs) anti-vax liberal that that doesn't seem like a winning combo to me he does have a lot of name recognition given his last name so if you forget every if you forget that he's the worst kennedy then yeah Yeah. um and and he had he had some competition because remember we also have um uh oh shit Uh, what's his first name the the senator kennedy no that's also john kennedy no, John Kennedy. There's John, there, there's Robert, there's Ted. No, 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 no. There's there I'm pretty sure that there's another John Kennedy who is a senator right now who's a Republican. I think it's John Kennedy. Jeez, what a family. Yeah. I don't know if he's related to the rest of the Kennedys, but I know that there is a Kennedy, and I'm pretty sure it's a John Kennedy. Anyways. There isn't an F Kennedy. The F is really what does all the work. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> right. I mean, is it is it Fitzgerald for all of them? Oh my gosh, like, I hope so. That would be so fun. What a fun little just, quirky thing. Like some families they... <laughs> name all their kids with the same initials, but like this is like the same middle name for everybody. Yeah. It's like Stanley Yelnats all over again. <laughs> <laughs> um, complete no name has 10% in the polls, which I think he's lucky to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why he's running on the Democrat side when his main issue is anti-vax conspiracy bullshit. Yeah. Like read the room, dude. Yeah. They just got all the vaccines. If yeah. if there was a winning coalition of anti-vax people, like that's the thing you're running on, then we wouldn't have yeah. like 70, 80% vaccination rates from COVID. Like it's just this just you're the it's right there. Well, and also this guy's running as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. partisan disc- and the discrepancies between vax the vaccine rates are partisan. Yeah, totally. So what the hell, dude? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think he's bored. Um, I think it's another bored one. Yeah, 
probably just another board one. I don't know. Uh, next, let's talk about candidates that actually do have a place in the uh, in the election. First off, let's talk about Meatball Ron, Ron de Sanctimonious. Okay, yeah. What's your favorite? We got Meatball, Meatball Ron. Ron. Meatball got- Ron. Hands Ron down. I like Ronnie Puddin' Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's good, but dude, I just, I don't think you can beat Meatball Ron. I just don't think you can do it. And I'm, I His, actually am yeah. disappointed in Trump for not taking credit for it. Mm-hmm. Cause like it was a, it was a, it was a story that said that behind the scenes he was referring to Ron DeSantis as Meatball Ron. Mm-hmm. And then he came out and denied it. And I'm like, what Why? are you doing? You're calling him Why? Ron DeSanctimonious. You yeah. know. And Meatball Run is object objectively that is better. Objectively, yeah. it is more creative. It is more funny. The guy's face looks like a meatball. His resemblance to a meatball really does all the work. <laughs> like, and it's just such. And meatball is just such a fun word to say. Yeah, you know. But did you like, see the more the ad? you think about it? Just Meatball Run. Did oh, the, you see the, the, the pudding ad? ad? Oh, yeah, the pudding ad. It was so good. It was so good. It, it was all such the a good ad. Yeah, don't let. Ron DeSantis and his pudding fingers get pudding on. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, well, the thing that really made got that such attention. a good ad was that, like, he was criticizing DeSantis for things that it, are actually worth criticizing him for. Yeah. yeah. Like, they were criticizing him for wanting to cut Social Security, wanting mm-hmm. to cut Medicare. And you know what? As much as I hate Donald Trump, I'm glad that he is telling the Republican Party... Mm-hmm hands off the social security and hands off the medicare totally like i am glad that he is actually taking that position that is a good position to have and it's all anchored in a very funny silly that makes ron look silly like mental image that you can just wrap it all up with it's like keep your put fingers off my benefits (laughs) yeah yeah it was it's actually really well done i i hate i hate i hate trump but it was a very good ad. It was hilarious. It was on point. Yeah. It was substantive. You know, well played, sir. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about DeSanctimonious. Mm-hmm. So it had been looking for a little bit that he was going to be an actual serious contender uh, to Donald Trump. Yeah. There was a little bit of a rise in the polls where it was looking like he was starting to catch up. There was definitely a little bit more of an appetite for somebody who wasn't Trump, especially after the fact that what should have been a layup in the midterms ended up being a like, like ended up historic disaster. Yeah, historic disaster where the Republicans did win the House, but like barely by the skin of their teeth. uh, And they lost a seat in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Um, There was definitely a little bit of a hunger for somebody who was not Trump. And yeah. the nice thing about DeSantis from the Republican point of view is the fact that he, for, first off, he doesn't have as much baggage as Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, he doesn't have as much of the legal issues as Trump. Yeah. You mean all the criminality and the all civil the criminality. suits? And yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that were a liability. Yeah. Uh, number three, like... He actually has more than one brain cell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's actually why I've I've said on this podcast that I think that DeSantis is actually way worse than Trump mm-hmm. because he's all of the horrible policy ideas of Trump wrapped in a guy that actually knows how to pass them. Yeah. Like who actually is going to try to pass them, is going to be strategic in passing them. Yeah. Um more strategic than Trump. 
very likely to do more damage than Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like and like his whole brand, everything he's established is on these like culture wars, social issues, where like you could see a president having a like the ability to do real fucking harm. Like, you know, you could think about like the president directing like the department of education to issue like guidance about trans students and like the kinds of stuff that he's been doing in Florida just escalated way further. And so like he would actually probably just be, uh, you know, just his passion projects are the things that he could actually influence as president. And they are incredibly harmful and incredibly evil. And to your point, Nathan, like even legislation, like he's, he seems to be pretty good at, at, you know, pushing the strategies that get the, these things kind of passed. Yeah. Yeah. DeSantis is a particularly heinous human being. Yeah. Um, like there are plenty of people in politics that I think say shitty things. And I think that probably are not the best people. Um, there are plenty of people in politics that I think say the wrong things that I disagree with, but like I can, I can have a healthy respect for, mm-hmm. um, even if I tease them, even if I, even if I make fun of what they say, like there are some people that I can have a healthy respect for. DeSantis is a disgusting, despicable, sociopathic human being. Yeah. And 100%. I do not say any of that lightly. Yeah. All right. I do not say any of that lightly. One big thing that thankfully has actually been starting to get a little bit of attention that I appreciate the fact that this has been getting some attention is the fact that, uh, there was a podcast interview that recently came out where a former detainee from Guantanamo Bay was talking about how when he was a detainee that Ron DeSantis was actually a lawyer, hmm. a, a, a junior officer that was, that was giving legal advice to, um, to the people at Guantanamo Bay that involved basically the oversee of torture. Like basically what he would do would be, he would go in there. He would basically play good cop for these detainees. He would say, Hey, I'm here to make sure that your rights aren't being violated. Tell me what they're doing to you. And so they tell him what they, what had been done to them, tell him the worst things that had been done to them, the things that had been infecting them the most. And then he would go to the people who were doing the torture and basically say, Step up this because that's what's hurt, hurting them Jesus the most. Fucking Christ! Um, in the past, he's even defended the force feeding that went on at Guantanamo Bay. Which, by the way, the United Nations has classified force feeding as a form of torture. They were Jesus. they were feeding him this like this like protein paste shake type th- thing that they normally give old people. They were forcing it down tubes. These people were were vomiting. They were shitting themselves. Uh, as this was happening in 2018 when asked about his role in guantanamo bay he said quote so everything at that time was legal in nature one way or another so the commander wants to know well how do i combat this so one of the jobs of the legal advisor is to be like hey you actually can force feed here's what you can do here's the kind of rules of that So he was advising them, and this is this is something that he has admitted publicly. Yeah, he advised them specifically on how to do the torture and get away with it. Mm -hmm. He advised them specifically. That might be the worst kind of lawyer. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and we have that on top of this testimonial, where 
not only was DeSantis overseeing it, which we know that he was overseeing it, like mm-hmm. he has admitted publicly to overseeing torture. According to this detainee, he was using manipulation tactics to get them to admit what was affecting them the most. And at one point, while one of them was being force fed, while he was shitting himself, while he was vomiting all over the place, he looked over and DeSantis was watching and he was fucking laughing. That this is a is sociopath. Psychopath. Yeah, this is crazy. Yeah. Like, and he only has 23% in the polls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And recently he was asked about this. Uh, he was, he was asked about the, uh, the article that came out the, or the, the podcast interview. Mm-hmm. And look, the first time I heard the claims by that particular person, I was thinking those are some really like mm-hmm. serious claims. Like there needs to be some evidence of that. I hadn't seen the fact that DeSantis had actually had in the past admitted to giving legal advice regard to torture. But of course the other claims are still not necessarily confirmed. Mm-hmm. So he was asked about it and this was his response quote, do you seriously believe that's credible? It's 2006. I'm a junior officer. Do you honestly think they would have remembered me? Yes. You're one of the people yes. in the room laughing as they like torture. If if I'm being tortured, I am memorizing every aspect of the face of the person who's doing it to me cuz mm-hmm. I'm going to fucking remember that. You know, I'm going to remember what your ass did to me. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus. he and then he like and then he went off on the reporter like, oh, you're you're asking me that? You're just trying to you're you're not asking based on facts. You're just trying to, you know, that fill that fits your narrative and you're trying to push that narrative. So he he turned it at, into an attack on the person who asked the question, mm-hmm. which look, if an accusation like that is circulating and I'm a politician, I welcome the chance to be able to say, no, I didn't do that. Yeah, Are you kidding sure. me? I would never do something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not an evil piece of shit. Yeah. But no, that's not what he did. He didn't even deny it. He just said, do you think it's credible? He made a horrible defense saying, do you think you'd remember? Which, yes, of course you would. And then he turned it around on the reporter. Mm-hmm. Classic like, deflection. Classic deflection. This guy, like, I, I, when I first read it, when I first read that podcast, I was like, okay, 50-50, this is legit. After I saw that defense, I was like, he definitely fucking did it. He mm. definitely fucking did it. Shit, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, to, it, to partially to sum it up, like, I think early on we had a lot of thoughts about DeSantis as being a contender. Like, he's dropped a lot in the polls in recent months. Um, Larry Sabato from from the University of Virginia uh, Center for Politics ba- summed it up like this. He was being asked, like, what what happened to Ron DeSantis? Like, what happened? And he said, people have gotten to know him. <laughs> it's like he's so like so unlikable apparently to like donors yeah. to his fellow like politicians like like the number of people in of like elected officials in florida that have come out in support of trump despite desantis being their governor is like staggering and just overall he's kind of gone from this concept where and this is a point that larry sabato made a concept where like he was like a phenomenon in Florida and he turned it from a yeah. swing state into a solidly or a, you know, semi swing state into like a solidly red state and like one in a landslide and all of the, and like just was dealing blow after blow to like all the well, culture issues as a concept. And now people have heard his voice. They've seen him yeah. respond to questions. They've like heard what he has to say and how he behaves. And like, he's kind of a weirdo. 
And like that's a yeah. pretty big liability as a like a politician when your personality and your likability is so much of your brand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it'd be one thing if you were Bernie Sanders, where your brand is making the <laughs> arguments, making the compelling points. Like, no one was like, yeah, yeah Bernie, I want to sit down and really, like, get have a beer with that guy. No one yeah. thought that. Yeah. <laughs> but when your brand is someone like, you know, Ron DeSantis, and you're like the anti-woke, like, crusader, you know, yeah, like, handsome politician, like, not having a good personality yeah. really makes you fall on your face. Yeah, Bernie's the type of guy that you want to have liquor with, but you don't want to have beer with. <laughs> like, yeah. I think he'd be fun to hang around if he was like wasted. But he, like, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I feel like, I feel like you'd be like after a protest and you order yeah. like a beer with a whiskey and you like drop the whiskey and then drink the beer. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. interestingly enough, I actually want to, before I get to the last candidate that doesn't have a chance but still might have a place in this race. Um, cause I, I want to, I want to, I want to save, I want to save that one for last because I have a lot of interesting things to say about that person. Um, let's go and talk about the ones that actually are going to win the nominations. Uh, and yes, that is my prediction. Um, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Yeah. And will. honestly, there's not a lot to say about them that you don't already know. Yeah. Um, so I'm probably going to keep this fairly brief, uh, as it stands, 70% of Americans think that Joe Biden should not seek re-election. 60% of Americans believe that Donald Trump should not seek re-election. So naturally, mm -hmm. they're both the overwhelming frontrunners in the primaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're completely draxing the entire field. Yep. It is a it is a kind of a sorry state of affairs just in terms yeah. of their like popularity, their like you know, a, ability to convince the other side in any way that they're like a viable, good candidate. Yeah. But it's kind of like, just like the state of our politics. You know what I mean? Like it's, I feel like that, that's such a vague thing to say, but I feel like it's like, we don't have great options. I was talking to Brie and I was like watching Biden's announcement video and her response was, Oh man, he's running for president again. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, you know, what's, what's wrong with that? She's like, uh, I don't want him to run for president. I was like, why? She was like, I just don't like him that much. And I was like, okay, well, who, who would you want to run for president? And she was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No idea. And I think that's, I think that's kind of, I, I, I think Brie does represent very much the normie perspective. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, not entrenched like, in our yeah, like <laughs> politics like, I think pickled that, brain. Yeah, yeah, it's like I, you know, F Biden, like, uh, you know, like he's the devil I know. So like, mm -hmm. if if it's him and Trump, like, obviously I'm going for him. But like, why? Why does it have to be him? Yeah, you know, exactly. he's just this. He's just this old dude who's barely conscious half the time. Mm -hmm. uh, although I did see his. Uh, I did see his. Um, uh, correspondence dinner speech and mm -hmm. it did i i'm ashamed to say that there are some parts of it that did make me genuinely laugh he is stepping it up like i mean the the big argument against him generally speaking is that he's too old and so yeah. to combat that he's talking to people and making yeah. jokes and trying to be relatable and all that kind of stuff to show like that he's yeah. firm you know yeah. there's a reason why he's the one that spoke through his whole announcement video yeah. You know, not just that he's running for president, but also like, I I want you to hear my voice. I want you to hear from me. I'm not Basement Joe. I want you to be right in front of your face 
like yeah. as a capable person. Yeah. And you know, he, he definitely is not, he doesn't have the same appeal that he used to have. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the same sharpness. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the same wit. He's not the same guy that ran in circles around Paul Ryan while Paul Ryan like helplessly picked his nose and wiped it on his ass. <laughs> but again, a lot of that's not necessarily his fault. Like he yeah. is, he is old and that has slowed him down. And I'm not saying that that makes it like that makes him bad or whatever. I'm not trying to say yeah, that yeah. old people can't be sharp. I mean, Bernie's still pretty sharp. Mm-hmm. Plenty of old people can be sharp, but you know, it's, he, he's been in, he's Biden's definitely a guy who's been in politics for way too damn long. And yeah. he really does just need to retire, but he's not going to, he's going to run. And, and his main if opponent I'm being honest, is going to be Donald Trump. And if I'm being honest, like, I don't want him to retire right now. I don't know who would replace him. I don't know who would step yeah. in and like be a good contender to Trump. I don't want yeah. him to. Yeah. I, like, like because I don't want it's, it's fucking 2020 all over again be, because I don't want, uh, yeah. Trump to be president and there's no real viable candidate to 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 Biden. Um I want Biden to run. Yeah. And I get that. I get that. So I definitely understand the sentiment of I just don't like him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what's the alternative? The last candidate that I want to talk about is Marion Williamson. Mm-hmm. And this was this was surprising to me. As I was as I was looking more into her, because my plan when talking about when talking about these candidates, when I got to Marion Williamson, my plan was to basically just do a complete hit job, like to just rip her <laughs> apart. Wow, what a plan! Because are you even well, an honest be- actor, a good political <laughs> analyzer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the thing is I was so unimpressed with her in mm-hmm. 2020. Yeah, and there are so many things that like I've that I, I've I've read about her in the past that I've heard about and things that actually while I was spending time researching for this podcast that I saw and I was like, ooh, ooh, don't like that. But then there were some things that gave me pause. So let me let me kind of I'm gonna walk you through kind of what my process is when I was researching for Marion Williamson. Cause the first thing is that I I at one point Recently, I listened to this uh, podcast episode that was talking about the background of Marion Williamson, and it talked about how uh, she she used to run this charity in the 90s. It was called Project Angel Food. And, you know, to her credit, this was in the 90s. The purpose of it was to deliver hot meals to people who were impacted by AIDS. Which, mm-hmm. considering the fact that there was still a lot of stigma towards people with AIDS back then, um, mm-hmm. I mean, of course there is still now, but like it was still pretty bad in the night. It was even worse back in the nineties. Like that's definitely a very worthy goal, and the fact that she was on the right side of that in the nineties does, you know, that that's good. That 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 is good. Uh, however, so while she was running it, the workers for the nonprofit wanted to unionize to try to get the, the the workers that were being paid they wanted to unionize to try to get better pay mm-hmm. better uh better work and she was really opposed to that she was really opposed to them unionizing and the company actually ended up having to make a decision because they realized that if they unionized they would have to pay them more which would mean that they would either need to cut staff which they they felt like they couldn't do uh, or 
what ended up happening was she left the company or the the organization. Specifically, she left the organization because they were trying to unionize. And in fact, at the time, according to Los Angeles Times Post, she said, quote, I'm very opposed to the unionization of volunteer organizations. With all that's going on, I just threw my hands up in the air. Hmm. So she left because they were trying to unionize. And when I hear that, that definitely gives me pause. Yeah, for sure. Something like that definitely gives me pause. Because, like, not necessarily because I think she's trying to make a a fast buck off of this particular organization. But that tells me that she's super out of touch. Hmm. That she is a, a wealthy person who doesn't understand what it's like to be working class and to work those jobs that don't necessarily pay as much of a living wage where you are depending on that paycheck in order to get by. And to think that, well, you should just be happy because you're working for a, you're working for a, a, a nonprofit organization. Yeah. I don't know. That just, that just tells me that you're, it means the only people that can afford to work for nonprofit organizations have to be supported by someone else or independently wealthy. Yeah. And I, I don't like that. Yeah. I, I definitely do not like that. Another thing that I don't like about her is that um, she has in the past referred to vaccine mandates as draconian and Orwellian. Hmm. In 2019, uh, during, the, during the election, um, she said, quote, To me, it's no different than the abortion debate. The U.S. government doesn't tell any citizens in my book what they uh, have to do with their bodies or their child. And that misses the point. That doesn't point. strike me as malicious, but it strikes me as stupid. Yeah, that's dumb. Yeah. Like, also aged poorly because, months later. <laughs> she wishes she would favor vaccine. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. This, yeah, this was in 2019 uh, mm-hmm. in June. So... I don't remember. I think she was out of the race at that point. I I don't remember. But but e- either way, like that represents a fundamental misunderstanding of the point behind vaccine mandates, which is the fact that you can pass that shit to people. You can't pass pregnancy to people. Yeah. If if pregnancy like, if were contagious, pregnant- we would have <laughs> like universal birth control. Like everybody would yeah, take birth exactly. control if you could bump into someone and get pregnant. Like <laughs> Yeah, so don't like that. She did later apologize um, and clarify. She said, quote, I understand that many vaccines are important and save lives. I recognize that there are epidemics around the world that are stopped by vaccines. I also understand some of the skepticism that abounds today about drugs that are rushed to market by Big Pharma. I am sorry that I made the comments that sounded as though I questioned the validity of life-saving vaccines. That is not my feeling, and I realize that I misspoke. I don't think she misspoke no. though, because she didn't yeah. necessarily say that. Like her her point was about vaccine mandates, which is I'd say is more reasonable than just being anti-vax. Yeah. But I think you're still wrong. Um, and like I do I I, I do understand being critical, but sure. big pharma. Yeah, but and also like vaccines work. are not the money making like, machines that big pharma is rushing to market. Like they're like the things that they do that you know, like no 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 big pharma companies like, oh thank God I can finally release a new vaccine. They're like no they like they release yeah. other drugs to make a ton of money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like vaccines prevent the need for like Future a lot drugs. of the treatments that actually exactly. that actually cost more. So 
they're actually a bad business decision, <laughs> you know? Um, so anyway, don't like that. Uh, I also, I still remember in the presidential debate with uh, Marion Williamson when they were all asked about their views on uh, Medicare for All. And she was like, yeah, well, normally I'm with Bernie, but I don't, I don't know about this one. And like, again, that this was my first introduction to her ever mm-hmm. was her in that debate performance where at one point she was talking to the, like the New Zealand uh, prime minister and was like, girl, you are so on. And then she was anti-Medicare for all. And that was like my first exposure to her. So already I'm like, who the fuck are you? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, what's changing your mind on this person that so far seems like a pretty long laundry list of, you know, yeah. cons? Well, this is when I'm starting to... Th- that's when I started to kind of question, okay, so why is it that there are a lot of leftist commentators that I respect mm-hmm. that are singing her praises? I was like, okay, uh, I should take the most I should common to... wedge is the people that you respect thinking about yeah. an issue differently. Yeah. It's like I look, I, I have all of these feelings about her. What is different that is making me like what is different that is giving them pause? Like I should try to give her an on a more honest look. Mm-hmm. And the more I looked, the more I was actually t- kind of taken aback. Hmm. So all of my criticisms that I've said do stand. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if with regard to the Medicare for all point, to her credit, uh, and and I I never I never saw this because this was never like she didn't really get a lot of media attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of ignored her because to me, like she had a chance on that first debate stage and she blew it. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently after that debate. She was actually interviewed on the Young Turks, and she was asked about that Medicare for All moment. And she said, quote, when I said that, I felt dirty after I said it. Hmm. Uh, the needle moved for me on that tonight, having to say to myself, you're agreeing with John Delaney here, hmm. which I think that's hilarious. I think that I think part of what gave her pause was her realizing, oh, my God, I have the same position as John Delaney. <laughs> like, where? what is this coming to? And turns out it made her rethink it, and she did come around on Medicare for All. And you know what? Like, I... Okay. Okay. I'm willing to give you that. I'm willing to give you that. Um, because people can change their minds, and she's she was new to politics. Now, her being new to politics is also part of why you might criticize her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, I... I don't know. I don't take that as a flip flop. I take that as a like her. Yeah, we want people that to feels to me more like she was coming around. Thoughtfully yeah. change their mind. That's the goal. Yeah. If and if it's realizing that John Delaney has the same view as you, like, cool. Thanks, thanks, John Delaney. <laughs> <laughs> um, the big thing for it though was when I went to her website because like when I went to her website, I was expecting it to just be a bunch of lackluster bullshit, mm-hmm. like a bunch of platitudes and cliches. It's actually super comprehensive. Really? Super detailed. Like super detailed, hmm. super specific, super policy-based. She has a laundry list of issues that she has in-depth pages on, ranging from healthcare, which she is now very firmly in the camp of single-payer healthcare. Um, and even disability justice and like disability, this is a big, this is a really big thing for me because I'm used to most candidates not even having a disability page. Yep. 
Yep. When they do have it, it's like two sentences that say, people with disabilities should be taken care of. <laughs> it's like, thanks, thanks, great. Uh, but she actually has specific policies that she's endorsing. Um, she, uh, she refers to the Disability Integration Act. She refers to specifically the need to have... Um, like, th and this is something that nobody ever talks about, except me. I talk about it all the time. But, um, <laughs> but she talks about how so often there are people without disabilities that are making choices, decisions about people with disabilities. Yeah. And she specifically is she, she's specifying that when it comes to any types of boards that are directly making decisions about people with disabilities it needs to have representatives who actually have disabilities. Like it mm. needs to nothing about us without us, which is mm. one of the, one of the themes in, in our, that, that uh, people with disabilities often talk about. Uh, it, ref it discusses uh, marriage equality for people with disabilities, which for those of you that don't know, mm. people with disabilities don't have marriage equality because when you get married, you lose your disability, mm -hmm. which is a problem. Yeah. It refers to uh, police violence against people with disabilities, which I like. No one ever fucking talks about that. Mm -hmm. I no no major politician ever talks about that. Um, she has an entire detailed uh, anti poverty pr plan, crime prevention, crime justice, climate action, disability justice, empowering labor, food safety, gun safety, immigration justice, LGBTQ issues, mass incarceration, Native American justice, reparations, reproductive justice, social security, U.S. Department of uh, Children and Youth, uh, U.S. Department of Peace, which I, I guess is a proposal for a new department, Interesting. Uh, working economy, whole health care plan, whole student plan, women's rights. Jeez. And each one of those pages is just in-depth like here's a policy that I support. Here's a policy I support. Here's a policy I support. Here's a policy I, I support. Here's the data behind it. Here's why I support it. And mm -hmm. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> like, where did this, where was this person in 2020? Oh my God. That's incredible. So, so here's, here's what I will say about Marion Williamson at this point. There are all of my criticisms still stand. Mm -hmm. All of my concerns still stand. All right. However, I think that she has a place in this primary in terms of bringing up issues that are genuinely important, trying to force Biden to talk about issues that are genuinely important. And I'll even say this, I am willing to give her a second chance to convince me. Mm. I am not going to make any endorsements, but based on the fact that you have a pretty damn decent in-depth policy platform mm -hmm. of stuff that I absolutely agree with, Changed my mind. And now it's time for one of our favorite segments, Tips for Good. So Nathan, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, Michael, I'm so glad you asked because we do Tips for Good every week because you take it on the run, baby. If that's the way you want it, baby, mm -hmm. then I don't want you around. But I don't believe it. Not for a minute. You're under the gun. <laughs> So you take it on the run. Wow. That's a good that's a good reason to do something. I don't It's a very good reason. I don't think I understand it, but I'm <laughs> I'm gonna think about it. I'm gonna chew to be on honest, it. it's 
it's it's one of my favorite songs, and I don't understand it. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Uh, that, but you that, know what I do understand? What do you that understand? We need to make we, we need to make the world a better place. Oh well, that makes sense. Which is probably why we yeah. do the podcast. That's probably why we do this segment. It's, it's why we do tips for good. Tips it's, for good that's is to it. make the world that's, a better that's, place. It's to make the world. That's it. We should that's write that it. down. We should, yep. we should, because we keep forgetting it. Every, Every time, time we just forget it. Yep. Yeah, just the song stuck on our head instead. So Nathan, <laughs> what is our tip for good today? Our tip for good today is to be intellectually honest about the boldness of your claims. Too often, people are so sure about what they believe, so sure about what they think, that they think that all they have to do is say it and the truthful self-evidentness should be what convinces people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes there are some claims that are fairly self-evident. You know, the earth is round. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you don't need to recognize that that is a bold claim. However, if you are going to make a claim, like, for example, when we talked about on the pod about safe injection sites, mm -hmm. yeah, you need to recognize when something... At face value, seems like a tough sell, mm -hmm. and you need to do your due diligence to be patient with people as you explain it to them or as you discuss it with them. Yeah. So, for example, with the uh, with the issue regarding safe injection sites, intuitively, it is so like it's counter to everything that we believe, right? Like the idea of the best way to fight drugs is to let people come in and do drugs. Yeah. It's just so counterintuitive. Yeah. So if you're going to discuss something like that, you can't get ang angry at people when they say, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Totally. Yeah. There's like a few reasons why this is important. Like one, being intellectually honest about how bold your claims are is a good check for you mentally to realize when a claim requires a lot more detail and a lot more thought and a lot more analysis. But it's also like the only way to discuss this kind of thing with other people that aren't already on your same page. And if you have an intellectually bold claim that is, and you're just talking about it with people that already agree with you, you're probably not like really scrutinizing that claim that well. Like you might be in an echo chamber in that case. And also, and, and, and finally, like um, if you are, like just pretending like the thing that you're saying is automatically true and obviously true and you don't feel the need to like defend it or to think about it deeply or anything like that. Like it's, it's, it's mostly like intellectual laziness. You're relying on other people's unwillingness to challenge your claim and, mm. and thinking that that is tacit is like acceptance of your claim. Basically the bet you're making is people are going to be like, people are not going to be interested enough to challenge my claim. Yeah. That's the best case scenario for you. Yeah. And that's, well, that's tips, tips for, for good. good. So now for everyone's favorite combination of topics, we're talking about the overlap between specific governmental policy and rule changes and complex economic ideas and impacts. Everybody's favorite Yay! combination of things. Yay! <laughs> so, all right. So we're talking about the debt ceiling. Um, we're going to try to make it fun. It's a terrifying topic, even though it sounds benign. Um, and it also, it, it, you know, if you're like us, this feels like deja vu. 
right? We've all heard the debt ceiling conversations before. And yet it's really important and it's something that we just, we can't really gloss over because it has real tangible impacts to pretty much every aspect of our lives and every aspect of our government's ability to function. So first of all, debt ceiling 101. What the fuck is the debt ceiling? (laughs) Bullet point one. Isn't that that, isn't that that thing where they like shut down the government? Oh, wow. What a classic blunder, Nathan. <laughs> oh, oh my. Have I made a mistake? Yeah. So in fact, it is what a, different. What a shock and, what a shock. and very much not rehearsed. Wow, Nathan, you are just so authentic right now. So the debt, so let's say what the debt ceiling is, and then we'll describe what, how it's different from a government shutdown in the budget overall. So the debt ceiling imposes a legal maximum on how much money the U.S. government can borrow in total, which is currently set at $31.4 trillion, right? Let's clarify a couple terms, right? A deficit is the difference between the amount of money that you're planning to spend and the amount of money that you have available to fund that expenditure. So if you think about your personal finance, a deficit is the difference between like your take-home pay and the amount that you spend each month. That's your deficit. We've been running a deficit in the United States for, you know, on and off to a greater or lesser degree, but pretty much forever. Um, We had a surplus under Clinton for a little bit. We did. But don't worry, Bush Bush took care of that. Exactly. And there's like, and it comes, one one like misnomer is that it always comes from spending. A deficit is the relationship, right, between how much you spend and how much you take in. So tax cuts are the, one of the most common ways that Republicans drive deficit, uh, yeah. like drive the deficit, um, while like spending and programs are one of the most common ways that that Democrats might drive the deficit. But yeah, it gets uh, the deficit, you know, and deficit spending exists under every administration, and as a result, the total amount of accumulated deficit, which is essentially what our debt total is, grows over time. And so that is like that deficit is a a key contributor and the relationship between the budget and the debt ceiling. The budget is what Nathan was talking about with the government shutdown. Okay, so the budget is how much money Congress has allocated to specific programs in total. And when we hit the maximum amount of money that has been allocated, we're no longer allowed to spend money right, as a government on things that are not required for spending, right, or not on, on, on discretionary spending, until we get authorization to spend more money, right? Think about it this way. You have a budget. You know exactly how much each month of your salary is going to go towards food and clothes and going out to the movies. Well, if you've spent all of your budget uh, for all of those things, you can't then go out to the movies again, before the end of the month or until you get a larger budget. That's what causes government shutdowns, right? Is when you've run out of allocated money in your budget from the government. It doesn't mean that we've hit the debt ceiling. It just means that Congress needs to authorize more spending, which does contribute to the deficit often because they're not always uh, offsetting that with increased taxes. So as a result, the, the total debt does go up but the debt ceiling is importantly different. One thing you might be thinking is, why the fuck do we have a debt ceiling? <laughs> because like, 
or maybe you're not, right? Some people find the debt ceiling very intuitive. If you think in personal finance terms, debt ceiling is like, oh, well, I don't want to have too much debt. Let's put a cap on it. But the problem with the debt ceiling is that it's literally the total amount of debt that we can have as a country. And when we use debt and deficit spending to do pretty much everything, right? It's like, and so if we can't add any money to the debt, then we have no ability to even pay the interest on our current debt. And you know what happens when you don't pay the interest on your current debt? You go into default. And that is the real worry about the debt ceiling. Yeah. Janet Yellen said, quote, if Congress fails to increase the debt limit, it would cause severe hardship to American families, harm our global leadership position, and raise questions about our ability to defend our national security. Being able to like run the government and finance our commitments, because that's really what the debt ceiling is, right? The budget is where we make all of our financial commitments. The debt ceiling is where we pay for them. Like if you're yeah. into financial responsibility and fiscal responsibility, you adjust the budget and you don't yeah. affect the debt. Yeah. And the thing is, right now, Republicans are treating it like a political tool and they're depending on you being confused about the difference between uh, the budget and the debt. Exactly. In order to, in order to like confuse you. So like one of the points that Kevin McCarthy actually tried to make was that, well, of course we're, we need to negotiate this yeah, because we need to be responsible with our spending. We can't yep. just raise the debt ceiling willy nilly <laughs> because, you know, then we're just creating more debt for future generations. And it's like, there's going to be a deficit that is going to continue to contribute to the debt. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get rid of the deficit. I mean, you, you know, maybe you could if you decided to actually raise taxes on rich people, but yeah. that's not going to happen. There's yeah. not going to be a stop on the deficit. That's just yeah. not going to happen. And we're certainly we not are going do to it. hit the debt ceiling. Exactly. We're certainly not going to do it in the next month. Currently, yeah. we're expected, we've already hit the debt ceiling. And the Treasury Department has been pulling out all the stops to, to be able to continue to pay our debt, right? We're like hemorrhaging cash. Because remember, like being able to pay debt is about being able to take cash and pay for your base your your debt payments right yeah but we're rapidly running out of cash and without the ability to take on more debt literally to fund the debt that we have which sounds like a terrible idea from a consumer lending perspective but is like how you manage the cash flow required to pay down your debt when you're a country like yeah without that ability then we'll default and yeah. to be clear Raising the debt ceiling is just a function of government that has a yeah. debt ceiling. We've done it yeah. 78 times since 1960. 49 yeah. times under Republican presidents, 29 times under Democratic presidents. It's just, it's not a matter of pol polit politics or political party. It's just part of keeping the government functioning and maintaining like our basic like position in the world and our basic, uh, financial commitments yeah and republicans are basically trying to keep an economic disaster hostage yep to try to uh get the democrats to to agree on spending cuts for bills that have already passed yeah like yeah i think that's so important literally like again budget and debt ceiling are independent issues and they're trying to tie them together to say if you don't do like 
if you don't do budget cuts, which, spoiler, will not affect the debt ceiling in the near term. We still have to raise the debt ceiling, even if we do budget cuts, right? They're saying if you don't do budget cuts, we won't raise the debt ceiling. And they're, they're, yeah. so they've passed this absurd bill, which we should talk about for sure. This bill would cut $4.5 trillion in government programs, a 22% overall reduction in domestic spending, and would provide $1.5 trillion in incremental debt ceiling. We got a $31 trillion debt ceiling that is expected to have to go up to $50 trillion by I think like 2030 or something like that. A trillion and a half dollars is not, that's like one COVID stimulus bill. That's like nothing. And to hold the debt ceiling hostage for a $4.5 trillion in spending, which is like the bill that they passed through the House, right, with just Republican, like along party lines, just Republican support, would be fucking horrible for, for the American people. We're talking about like, we're talking about like eliminating 81,000 veterans affairs jobs right? Like, which would like reduce the number of veterans visits and like care and uh, the ability for like the VA and our government to care for our veterans. And it would basically repeal the IRA, uh, which includes tons of climate reforms. We're talking about like changing this budget and and doing this to basically like remove, take, pull funding out from under all of these like key initiatives from the Biden administration would like cripple our programs and absolutely yeah. like certainly cripple like our government's priorities and our ability to fight climate change. Yeah. Like the inflation reduction act was the most significant climate change legislation that has ever been passed. And it still wasn't enough. Yep. Like it's still, it's, it still needed to be bigger. It's there's still more than it needs to do for the sake of the planet. Mm -hmm. And Republicans are just like, fuck the planet. Yep. Yeah, in in favor of like a a nod towards like fiscal responsibility, which we could pay for with like taxes. Honestly, like they're they're talking one of the thing one of the proposals in their bill is to take away the incremental funding that goes to the IRS, which will literally pay for itself because of incre incremental IRS enforcement against people that are difficult to audit, i.e., very wealthy people avoiding their taxes. Like yeah. At the very least, you'd leave that in place. And as and as we talked about on the pod previously, the reason why increasing the budget for the IRS is important is because when they have a smaller budget, mm -hmm. they go after smaller targets, yeah. which means they're more likely to audit people who have less of an income. Mm -hmm. When they have more resources, they're going to go after the big dogs. They're going to yeah. go after the people that actually have the money, the people that are actually screwing the system. Exactly. So basically, the Republicans in the House right now are holding, basically, they're just planning to shoot the hostage. On the one hand, their bill would do terrible things for the United States. On the other hand, uh, the debt, like, like not raising the debt ceiling, causing us to default, would also do terrible things for the people of the United States. We're talking about 66 million retirees who would miss out on average monthly payment of $1,800 which is like you're just for 90% of people accepting social security it's their only form of income. So so if we hit the debt ceiling, like if we hit the debt ceiling and we're not able to like pay for required spending, those people would just not have social security for every day that we are not able to to pay for it. 
And so like, it would just be disastrous for them. We're talking about like millions of people that would lose all kinds of government support would likely cause us to enter a, an economic downturn, even if we're not in one already, despite like a pretty fragile economic market where we are right now anyway. And we're talking about an incredible erasure of wealth for American families as well. Like according to Moody's, if we hit the debt ceiling and we, we defaulted on our debt, but then quickly raised the debt ceiling and were able to pay for it, we would erase $12 trillion in household wealth because of the impact to the stock market. Like they're trying to save four and a half trillion bucks in budgetary spending and they're going to erase trillions of dollars of wealth and and steal the social security from like 66 million beneficiaries that paid into it like these people are this is absolutely maniacal and then they have the audacity to say mccarthy said the sad part is here now the democrats need to do their job the president can no longer ignore it by not negotiating it's like you don't negotiate with terrorists <laughs> And like that's, and that's what they're doing. And ultimately, like Biden's strategy is to try to take the debt ceiling off the table forever as a negotiation tactic. Now, again, government shutdowns are used for negotiating, you know, somewhat regularly. Um, the last time we faced a brink like this was in like 2011, where we like pretty close to defaulting on our debt. But typically, we we try to avoid negotiating the debt ceiling because it is a lose lose proposition, and Democrats held up our side of the bargain when the debt ceiling was raised multiple times under Trump and just passed a clean debt ceiling bill. And that's all Biden is pushing for. And ultimately, like, it's a matter of chicken. It's a game of chicken. And the fact that the government, that the Democrats actually care about people more is a weakness. And now it's time for our favorite segment, Ass Hat of, of the, the Week. week. So, Nathan, who is our asshat this week? <laughs> well, Michael, our asshat this week is, and, and I feel like this is therapeutic for us because, mm-hmm. you know, last week we lost one of our favorite asses that keeps on hatting. Yeah, totally. And I think we needed to just take a minute and just go back to one of our other favorite asses that keeps on hatting, mm-hmm. which is, of course, Georgia Congresswoman. Marjorie Taylor, Jewish Space Lasers Green. Oh man, it's so good to have her back. You know, like so good to have her back. It's almost like it's almost like I'm you're like nervous when you like don't see your dog for too long and you're like, oh, what the <laughs> fuck are they getting into? When I like don't hear about Marjorie Taylor Jewish yeah. Space Lasers Green like pulling batshit crazy stuff for too long, I'm like, uh oh. Now's yeah. when she's really taking yeah. a shit in the in the bathroom floor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not far off. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I don't Honestly, want that. that would have been less embarrassing Uh-oh. than some of the so, shit that she right. does. All right. So what did Marjorie Taylor Jewish Space Lasers Green do to get on our show this time? So she, d- during a uh, an oversight committee that was investigating the nation's response to the coronavirus pandemic, they were taking a look at how the American Federation of Teachers might have unduly influenced the uh, the CDC with regard to um, 
school reopenings and rules regarding school openings and all of that, which, you know, I think that's like, that's, that's, that's an interesting topic. There's definitely some things to, some things to discuss. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in fact, the, uh, the, the chairman prior to the, uh, the meeting, and it's funny because he said this knowing that Jewish space lasers was on the, uh, was on the the committee. Mm -hmm. He said, please, like he, he was like, please, for the love of God, just keep on topic. Like for the love of God, keep on topic. Um, and of course green heard that and promptly ignored that. Like um, what's a topic? So... I'll shoot a topic with my gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's, so there's this woman who is the, uh, the president of the, uh, the American Federation of Teachers. Her name is uh, Randy Weingarten, and she was testifying before the committee. And at one point, uh, Green decided to take aim at the fact that she was a stepmother. And it was weird. It was this line of questioning where she, she asked if she was a mother. And uh, Weingarten was like, yes, I'm a, I'm, I'm a mother by marriage. And then she goes off on her. And she's like, you're not a medical doctor. You're not a biological mother, mother, and really not a teacher either. Let me tell you, I'm a mother, and all three of my children were directly affected by school closures by your recommendations, which is something you can't understand. Why? <laughs> and then another point, she said, she basically said, like, straight up, you're not a real mother. Oh, my God. And it's just... You're really gonna take aim at step parents in yeah. a committee that is that is like talking about you know genuine issues, um, to grandstand about fucking stepmothers yeah. like, and <laughs> I think and it's a part of this is probably the fact that Weingarten's married to a woman, so it's probably an anti-gay thing as well. Mm, yeah. But like, but like you're seriously going to sit there in the middle of a committee about a serious topic, and use it as an attempt to grandstand about the fact that step parents are illegitimate. I think that I think my leading hypothesis about Marjorie Taylor Jewish Space Lasers Green is that her intellectual understanding of the world stopped in like third grade. <laughs> no, so she's learned more facts, but she can only contextualize them in the, the information she had in third grade, which means of course, step parents are the bad guys in all the Disney movies. You got the stepmother. That is true. She's bad. That is so true. I think really like she's like, oh my God, you're a stepmother. Does that mean that, that you like hate her and are, you're conspiring for your children's death? Well, I'm a biological mother, which means that I die yeah. in the first five minutes of the movies and I leave my kids <laughs> <laughs> and you can't understand that. <laughs> That's her whole, I well, think. I think she's also... I think she's also being anticipatory because she recently got divorced. Mm. So I think she's, I don't know, maybe she's hoping like her kids are going to see any, any other stepmothers. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's her own. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. If this was just her grandstanding about how like, she's like like, jealous of her husband's like, like, remember, remember kids, I'm your real mother. Yeah, exactly. No one can love you like I do. <laughs> oh my gosh. Then that's like, who is she talking to? Who is this for? What is she accomplishing? Like, yeah. she, like, 
uh, it's it sucks. She and look, sucks. Look, look, the thing is, if she had stopped it at like, you know, my kids were hurt by some of these yeah. procedures that like that totally makes sense, you know? Sure. There are so many practices that were not great. Yeah. Like and specifically, there were a lot of practices during the COVID pandemic that disproportionately harmed people with disabilities. And if you mm-hmm. want to have a conversation about that, let's have a conversation about that. But yeah. what the fuck? Yeah. She's like, you know what the important thing is here? That you don't have actual kids. It's not my kids. It's not these policies. No, no, no. We're just going to talk about your yeah. non-biological kids. Yeah. Oh, God. So as always, congratulations to the ass that keeps on hatting. Marjorie Taylor, Jewish Space Lasers Green. Our... Ass hat of, of the, the week. week. And now it's time to end our show as we usually do with our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is that I got a hell of a lot of grading done and it's done. Nice. <laughs> like, like, like <laughs> it's, a... it, this is my hell week. This is the week before finals week, which is my hell week. Uh, mm. And I got a lot of grading done, a lot of work done. Feeling good about that. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. What about you, Mike? What's your what's your highlight? I think it was camping this past weekend. Bree and I went camping for a couple nights, and we had our dog, and we went hiking, and it was our first time camping in Washington. It was gorgeous and super fun and super relaxing. So it was great. And if you're interested, you can check out videos of our podcast on YouTube. Just search Super Spectrum. And if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the perspectrum. You've got some extra goodies for you over there. And thank you so much for everybody that makes this show possible. Our amazing patrons, uh, Jerry DeViller, Kyle Chaska, Fade Out Scoop, Taylor Bloom, and Tobias Janssen. And thank you, of course, to our incredible editor, Kayla, for all that they do to make this show possible. And with that, thank you, dear listener, for listening to The Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again next week. Thank you.